be to Josie. I pray for Natalie, Lord, and her bone, and Lord, it's been a while, and I just pray, Father, that you would touch her, and Lord, that you would work a healing, that you would strengthen her, and Lord, she would be restored back to full health. And Lord, I basically pray the same for Marcia's grandson, Danny, as he's been in this accident. I pray, Father, for these bones, that you would mend them, and that, God, you would just do a great work in his life. And so, Father, we just thank you, Lord, for the opportunity for prayer. And Lord, just pray that we would forever be found faithful. So we just lift up tonight, as we get into your word, we lift it up to you, that, Father, we would gain the lessons that you would have for us for this day, for our individual lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark chapter 5, starting at verse 21. I'll read the first portion, and then we'll get into our study. Verse 21 says, Now when Jesus had crossed over, if you recall previously, he was in the Gadarenes, which is across from Capernaum, and so now he has come back. Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet, and he begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Verse 25, Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for twelve years, and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment, for she said, If only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out from him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see the multitude thronging you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. I looked it up. I looked it up on Google. Man's greatest fears of the day. Those who do such things made a list, and I took the top three. The first greatest fear of mankind is to be placed in a state of helplessness. Mankind's great challenge is to find meaning and purpose in his life. No one wants to believe that they've come into this world as a result of an accident, and if not an accident, then there must be meaning and purpose for our lives. But where is it that we go about looking for meaning and purpose in our lives? Well, Some of us will try to find meaning and purpose in a job. But then, we just prayed for one of our brothers, what happens when you lose that job? If your meaning and purpose is based upon that job and you lose it, then what meaning and purpose do you have in life? Some others may find meaning and purpose in a relationship, but what happens when there's separation or disconnection? Then, once again, you can so easily fall apart. Others find meaning and purpose in a particular activity, but what happens upon inability or disability, then you're thrown into that state of despair once more. Secondly, another fear of mankind is deception, that we would be deceived and taken advantage of. 
a problem within our society today is just the belief that that truth rests upon what I believe that it is and it's always for the benefit of myself or yourself and as we live in a society that everybody is doing what is right in their own sight we get taken advantage of it seems like every time I go out on the road there's somebody who's not following the rules I try to do the best I can but it's those other people if you're a child of the 60s you'll remember the commercial watch out for the other guy Well, it seems like there's a lot of other guys out on the streets nowadays. And, well, if you're not following the traffic rules, then you're destined for for an accident. And so, as a result today in life and business and relationships, man bends truth to suit his will at the expense of others. How many of you this week got some sort of financial advertisement in the mail? Some sort of thing for a credit card, a bank, or I'm, I'm sure, yeah, we pretty much all do. Here at the church, we get a lot. Of, I get them almost every day. We get them at home as well. And they're all making these great promises to our financial advantage. But how many of them said that they want to financially enslave you for the greater majority of the rest of your life? And, well, there's always that hidden fine print. Thirdly, the fears of mankind. Well, we've seen helplessness, deception. And lastly, it's the most obvious, I would think, disease and or death. And you may never be rendered helpless. You may never, ever be deceived. But at some point in life, everybody is going to get sick and die. There's going to be some of us that maybe avoid the sick part, but nobody's going to be able to avoid the death part. But just when all seems hopeless... There's a biblical reminder. Man's greatest fears are overcome by man's greatest hope, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, really, what has the Lord done for our fears? He's cast them aside for those who are able to truly trust in him. As I look at this, I'll never be helpless because my Lord told me he'll never leave me nor forsake me. Again, it's all about the power of prayer. It's not just praying to the Lord, but there's that reminder of the presence of the Lord as we're lifting up our prayer requests. And there's power in that. To understand God who spoke all that we see in existence, he has an ear lent towards me. That I am able to speak to him and have him move according to his desire within my life. I mean, think of the power and think of the intelligence that is directed towards your day. The knowledge that is directed towards your day through the Lord and is all he asks is that he wants to hear from you. Man's greatest fear by man's or taken or overcome by man's greatest hope. Well, as far as deception... I've got the truth of God's word, and when it comes to disease and death, my hope is in Christ. My future is in the Lord Jesus Christ. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so, are you nervous because of helplessness, because of your shortcomings? Jesus is the way. It's why we study God's word continuously, and every time we're able to gather together, are you disturbed by deception? Jesus is the truth. And as we, stick, as we continue to guide our lives and stick to Jesus' truth, we'll do well. Are you in despair concerning a disease or death? Jesus is our life. In John chapter 11, verses 25 through 26, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. 
He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And he asked, do you believe it? Speaking to Martha, but speaking to us all. Do we honestly, do we truly believe it? We have our anniversary, our 20-year anniversary as a church that is coming up week from Sunday. And just thinking about the last 20 years, thinking of the people who started the church, some of them are in the in the presence of the Lord, even right now, thinking of people who've been coming since even the first day, thinking of myself and that time of life between, I was around 40 when we started, I'm 60 now in those 20 years, and and just, um, they've been just a tremendous blessing, but there's been some difficult, there's been some health issues as we've all experienced the difficulties and, and whatnot. But, but the one unifying factor that we all have is that which is where our hope lies. It's in Christ. It's the trust that we have in God's word and the knowledge that God cares and he watches over us and protects us. That's the strength that is to go before us. Is there going to be another 20 years? There will be another 20 years for the church, hopefully for this church. Am I going to make it all that? I, I can't imagine standing up here at 80, but hey, you never know whatever the Lord has for us. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So, As we saw in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41, if you're feeling helpless in the midst of storms, well, if Jesus is in your boat, you're going to get where it is that he has set you to go. As long as Christ is in my life and by my side, I have a confidence that the will of God will come to pass in my life. Are you deceived by the devils and demons and their, their trickery? Well, Give your life to Christ, and he sets us free, and he puts us on a path of truth. Are you being decimated by disease or death? Well, that's where we are going to pick up today as we see this tale of two twelves. We see this one young woman and an older woman, and both of them, both of them, well, one of them is dealing with death, and the other is dealing with some sort of sickness. Now, we enter in and we see this man, Jarius, and we see this certain woman who is left unnamed. And, and also we see the, the man's daughter. But I want to focus upon the man and I want to focus upon the woman. And I want to look at the contrast because what we have to understand that Jesus Christ is not a respecter of persons, but he is Lord over all. We see with the man, he was famous. This woman, she's anonymous. We never get a name for her. He was wealthy. She was living in poverty. She gave all of her money to these doctors who were making her worse rather than making her better. He was a leader. She is, we'll see in a little bit, the reason why, but she's an outcast from society. In actuality, she shouldn't have been amongst that crowd. This man had joy for 12 years. We see that his daughter, in verse 42, is 12 years old. So for that 12 years, he had the joy of this daughter, and now that's in jeopardy. Jeopardy. This woman, this woman has had this flow of blood for 12 years. She's been in misery for 12 years. One involved in serving, the other one an outcast from society. The same existence in both their lives of helplessness, deception, disease, and death. Very opposite people, but the same need, the same problem, and really what the situation is, and those fears that I just talked about, and what these people are experiencing, they can't do anything for themselves. 
And what did we spend the majority of our time apart from Christ doing? Trying to do everything for ourselves. But it's during the time that we came to an understanding of who Jesus Christ is and what Christ is able to accomplish that I realized the only thing that I really need to do is to be obedient to what God has called me to do. And even in the midst of that, God is going to enable me. He fills me with his spirit and enables me for his purposes. And so as I come to a realization of these things, as we grow in maturity in our Christian lives, really maturity is a greater dependency upon Christ, understanding that he only has the best for us and he's working out his plans and purposes. And as soon as I come to that understanding, I find peace in my life and I find I find a, a, a greater degree of, of trust in him. And so they're both about to experience what we've all experienced is a divine intersection. Christ is going to cross paths with them and enter into their lives. Do you remember? Do you remember the date? And all of you should, at least the time period when there was a divine intercession between your life and Christ entered in, entering into your life. The realization that there was that day that things changed. I was just talking to somebody about it the other day. This person was telling me how emotional he was. He says he never cries, but the day that Christ entered into his life, he said he was up there crying like a baby, and he just didn't, you know, it was just very foreign to him, but he understood that something was changing in his life. Myself, I wasn't crying. I was kind of, it was kind of a a peace mixed with fear. There was the knowledge of doing the right thing, but there was the fear of the unknown. It was the fear of leaving behind the old life, and I knew a lot of people that I'd be leaving behind in the old life, but entering into this new life, not fully understanding the totality of who Christ is, knowing that he's God, but not understanding the personal aspect of a relationship with Jesus Christ. But I did know it was that day that, well, I didn't wake up in the morning and know that. It was definitely a Sunday, and went to church in the morning, and my wife asked me when I was going to make an altar call, and I told her I didn't need to make no altar call. And I truly believed that. I believed I was right with the Lord, but God was just laying upon my heart the necessity to do so. And that night, it was just, I knew I was going to be in disobedience to the Lord if I didn't go forward when the invitation was given. Uh, Pastor David, pastor was teaching in Second Chronicles at the time. I'm the only person that I know that's ever gotten saved to Second Chronicles, but it's all the, it's all the Word of God, so it really doesn't matter. And I can, I, I just knew I didn't want to walk up, but I just knew I needed to. You know, there was the flesh warring against the spirit, the spirit warring against the flesh. And going up there, and there was a couple other people, but it seemed like I was the only one. The Lord was doing a great work, and many people were coming to the Lord during that time. And I remember the person that um, did follow-up took me out, was asking me questions. I filled out a little thing, and so on and so forth. And then moved forward in my Christian life, learning about Jesus Christ, understanding and how he integrates into the life. It's not just that moment, but that moment was a start of this miraculous relationship. And again, it doesn't in that pastor. It doesn't even have to go to pastor. It's all of us. It's this miraculous relationship and that we may not know, and the majority of the people can ha- not, don't, don't really have a clue of what they're entering into. They're just responding to the Spirit. But God does this great work of 
born, the born-again experience, and, and you see this great change, and priorities are different now, and, and, and viewpoint and perspective just completely changes. And as all of that happens, we just see that this is a great work that God has done. Well, God is going to be doing a great work in both of these people's lives, really all three of these people's lives. The daughter is just kind of on the back burner, if you will, because really Jarius is the one who is the focal point as well as this woman being the focal point also. But again, this is just one of those times when you knew that your path crossed with Christ. Learn to recognize the times when your path crossed with Christ. And what I mean by that, those times when it's just obvious that Jesus is working and moving in your life. Because it's then that you're reminded that you are a child of God. You're reminded that God cares for his children, that God cares for you. It's important that you know that, especially as times become more and more evil, as difficult day comes, as we enter into times of troubles and tribulation, that we would realize once again that my God is forever by my side, and he never will leave me nor forsake me. Back in verse 21, Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And so we have a tale of two crowds here as well. Remember the crowd on the other side? What did they want? They wanted him to leave. The crowd on this side? They were welcoming him. Now, what's the great difference between the two? Because it's not so much salvation, but the previous work that Jesus did on the side that he is at now, well, it was all about the physical healings. And that's what these people are so excited about. Here's this man who is able to touch people and to alter their lives to a great degree. And is miraculous. The miraculous will always draw big crowds. But then the previous work that Jesus did on the side of the gatherings, well, that was the spiritual, the spiritual new life. That man, that demon-possessed man who God changed the course of his life. But the spiritual will not necessarily draw big crowds. Matter of fact, they may even reject you. Why did they reject him? (laughs) He came over to their side. Yeah, it's real nice that you delivered this man from demon possession, but you killed all of our pigs. And really what they were holding on, this was the, they had this comfort of the dependency upon their sin. And now all of a sudden their lives are completely altered here and in their perspective, not for the better, but you see this man and this man who wanted to come with Christ, as you recall, as we uh, closed last week, Christ told him, no, you stay and tell him of the great things that has happened in your life. And so Christ using that man as a witness. But now here Jesus is on the other side, and here is where the ministry is. Verse 22. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue, this would be the superintendent, if you will, of the synagogue, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jarius by name, and when he saw him, when he saw Jesus, he fell at Jesus' feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall 
she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. They're, try, they're touching him, and they're, they're just wanting whatever they're able to get from him. Probably a lot of desperate people that are there. Now, Jairus didn't necessarily understand who Christ is, didn't really necessarily understand him to be Messiah. He just knew that this man, that Christ, is able to do something for a desperate situation. Once again, put yourself in this man's place, the day that you were saved, you did not know all there was to know about Jesus Christ, but you did know and you did recognize that he was able to do something for your desperate situation as well. And so, Jarius, I always think of, you know, just even the day before, you know, what was going on in his life? Was his daughter even sick at that point? And he probably had absolutely no use, at least in his mind, for Christ. But then all of a sudden, here came, comes this life-altering situation. And this life-altering situation wakes him up to his inability to do certain things. And especially as a man, you want to care for your children. And how much more so this, this little daughter, just 12 years old, and she's dying and she's slipping away. And so he's wondering, what in the world am I going to do? And then he hears of this man who's done these mighty miracles is now coming back. And we know he's coming back for a purpose. And part of the purpose is going to be, well, so that we would have God's word here tonight in this story, but also to meet this man and to meet this girl in a very personal way, without a doubt, to to say the least. And so it's amazing the difference that a moment makes, thinking of maybe what you were doing moments before a life-altering situation. Well, this man is exactly where he needs to be. He's in the presence of Christ. And so Jesus is the hope that the Christian has... uh, has though even as one moment can bring despair and the next moment can bring a miracle, God moves in the midst of it all. I remember my wife and I, we were saved not too long, for not too long of a period. God was doing this great work. He was changing my my future, really, not just as far as my sins and so on and so forth, but as far as the ministry. And he was moving me from being an electrician, an electrical contractor, owning my own business, to the work of ministry. And as he was doing that work, there were these things that were going on that were just beyond us. And we, as I started the business, we were very successful. And then we came to this point that God was just moving these clients out, clients were going back bankrupt and not paying me, and we came to the point that we were just really struggling financially, and that financial struggle can go so deep, and I can remember one morning waking up and thinking, Lord, we're, we're down to zero, and, and we, we, we have no prospects here. I did have a job that I had signed, and it was going to be a pretty good job. It was a pretty good-sized job, but he had just told me the day before that we're not, we wouldn't be seeing money for a couple of months. And so I, I had a little job that was going on in Montclair, and I had been over there. And then the job, that, that bigger job, was in Ontario over here. And so I, I drove over here, and I was looking at the job and thinking, how am I going to even be able to do this job? I don't have the money to cover payroll or the materials and so on and so forth. And it was just one of those things that I, I remember I was, it was in a business complex kind of like this, and I pulled my truck over. And again, I'm still a young believer at this point, and I just prayed. 
And I don't think I ever did that. Just, just, just pulled over and just stopped and just prayed over that job. And Lord, just show me what you want to do because I was very confused at the time. And I remember I, I was coming home. It was somewhere over Millican and um, maybe it was, it was actually in Rancho. That's right. So it was above the 10 freeway. And so I, I prayed there. I drove. I had to stop by the Ontario Library because they didn't have internet back then. This was in the early 90s. And uh, Sean or one of my kids was doing a science project and I had to get it. And so the time I drove from this job over at Millican and the 10 in that general area and I drove over to the Ontario Library, as soon as I pulled into that parking lot, I used to carry, they used to call these things called beepers. They would go off and they would have a phone number and you would have to call them. I'm talking ancient history here for some people. Um, but he paged me, and I, had a, I did have a car phone at the time, and so I called him back, and he said, you're never going to believe this. And I said, what? I got a check for $20,000 for you right here from that client. It was a down payment, and it was just like, wow. You know, and, and this wow was not so much the twenty grand, but it was a God. And, and just, wow, you know, and taking that back to prayer and, and how God answers prayer and how he does these great things and how he meets us in the midst of our despair. Now, I'm not saying let's just go pray for $20,000 and it's going to happen, but I guarantee you God will meet all of your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And again, it's according to his will and it's according to his desire. That's not a cop-out. That's just a reality. And so these realities we have to understand are that which, are, 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 are that which we're, we're able to hold on to and we're able to grasp. And we need to hold these things once again, dear, understanding that God is with us and God hears us. In Job chapter 1, verse 21 through 22, Job says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. But the Lord has given, and the Lord has taken away. And again, that, that's a constant throughout all of our lives. The Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. Now he's expanding it pretty broad. The Lord has given me life and my life is the Lord's to take. He says, blessed be the name of the Lord. Understanding that regardless, God gives and God takes, but whatever it is, it's according to God's desire and the will of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. Because again, he understood the goodness of God and, and understood that, hey, if this is something that God desires in my life, then this is a necessary part of my life. Are you able to come to that realization in your trials? If this is necessary in my life at this moment, then blessed be the name of the Lord. So, on his way to Jarius's house, there's this divine appointment. Now, can you imagine, Jarius? I, Lord, I need you to come to my... My daughter is on her deathbed. And he's got all of these people, this crowd, it says they're thronging him. It said it twice, and so is a reality. And he's wanting to get him through the crowd and get him to his house. But then the Lord stops because it says here in verse 25, there's a certain woman, a certain woman who had a, a flow of blood. Now, when it says a certain woman, the idea, there's a specific woman here. Notice how God is a personal God, and God's focus is at this particular lady with her particular situation. And she had a flow of blood for 12 years. And so, 
Well, let me finish. It says in verse 26, and had suffered many things from many physicians. I imagine the things that she suffered from physicians were just, uh, especially back in those days, were things that probably never even had a chance of healing her. And it says she suffered these things, so more than likely they added to her condition. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. And the idea of this is something she completely believes. Immediately, the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. So again, think of the state of this woman. We're told in Leviticus chapter 15, and the idea of this is a menstrual type of bleeding, We're told in Leviticus chapter 15, when a woman is going through that time, well, this woman just happens to be lasting for 12 years, that she is to be separated from society. So this woman ought not to have even been there at this point, but she's experienced this separation. Now, just think if you were separated from your family, just separated from society for 12 years, you know, if she's following through in the law, she hasn't hugged a child. For 12 years, she has not embraced a husband. She has not touched a friend. And she was just in, well, just think of the despair that she was truly in. Not having that human contact. And, and again, there's that frustration of what can I possibly do to change my situation? Well, there's not a thing that she can do until that day that Christ crossed her path. Here is the answer, and the answer is standing right before him. And, and you need to see the passion of this woman. It's the same that we see in the passion of this father. If only I can get to him. Well, the father, if only I can get him to, to her. But this woman, if only I can get to him. I know if I could just touch his clothes, I shall be made well. And that's an expression of faith. And God builds upon faith. It's not just if only he'll he'll give me help, but if only I can make that personal connection. Because remember, she wasn't supposed to touch a child, wasn't supposed to touch a husband, wasn't supposed to touch, she wasn't supposed to touch anybody. But here's the one, here's the one who is standing before her that if only she can touch him, he'll make all the difference. It's through the touch that we receive from Christ as we reach out to him that changes every relationship in our life. Now, instead of the law, she has found grace. And as she has found a grace, she grasps on to the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 29, immediately, instantly, the idea is instantly as she touched him, the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction of her suffering. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that the power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? I would imagine if she said that, she's probably thinking, I'm not supposed to touch anybody. And here, I touched this man. I doubt if she knew the magnitude of who he was. So understand that this fear factor is something very real. She wasn't supposed to do this. But his disciples said to him, you know, the multitude thronging you, and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this. But the woman, now it says here, she's fearing and trembling, knowing that uh, what had happened to her came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. 
So the heart of this woman was to break through the crowd of unbelief, apathy, and humanism, and everything else, and just come before God. What is she coming before God based upon? It's not the keeping of the law, because in actuality, she's breaking the law. She's coming to Christ based upon grace and grace alone. She's coming upon She's coming up to Christ. She's touching Christ based upon the love that she has for him because it's worth it to him. If she's going to be struck dead, if she's going to be uh, thrown out of, uh, out of society, whatever, but, but here's this opportunity of this man who's done things that nobody else has ever done. And, and so you really need to see the magnitude of the faith because, again, she's not supposed to do this, but there's just that irresistible love of Christ. We see it today displayed upon the cross, but the Spirit stirred that within her heart at this point. And as her heart was stirred, she just knew that she had to get, get to him somehow, some way. And notice when he touched, she touched his clothes, she touched the backside of his clothes. Because again, he wasn't supposed to do this. And then it had to, had to be really hard when Christ turned and said, who touched me? The author of the law, who touched me? And she came before him, and she came before him in truth. And it's then that she received that perfect, but also complete healing. Now notice that that healing goes deep. It's, it, it, it just wasn't external. It said at the fountain, and the idea is that that bleeding at its very source was completely healed. She realized that something had happened within her, and she understands that this is complete and this is total. Now, in Jesus' reference to this woman, he uses the same root word as he will use for Jairus' Jarius', daughter later on in verse, um, verse 23. It says, and he begged him earnestly, saying, my little daughter. That's actually what Jarius used to describe his daughter. My little daughter. And it's the same root word that Jesus used for this woman, my daughter. I would imagine that that would have spoken volumes to Darius that... This is my daughter. These are my people. Your daughter is my daughter. And again, what we're seeing here is is Christ's care for all of humanity. So Jesus, even in this time, this hurry to heal, takes time to teach. And although Jairus had faith, I imagine his faith at this time, can you imagine? It's probably being stretched to its, its limits. Verse 35, While he was still speaking, Some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid, only believe. Once again, an opportunity for great faith. If they said that she was dead, she was probably dead at that moment. He was able to trust Jesus for a healing Are you able to trust him for something even greater? Verse 37, And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. When he came in, he said to them, Why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. It's believed that these were professional mourners. This man being a man who was prominent in society, that would just be a common thing to do during that time. And the idea is that these professional mourners, they probably see death pretty much every day. And the idea is is that when they see death, they they understand that that person is, is dead. And so the idea is that 
the point that is being made is that this little girl at this point is dead. Verse 40, and they ridiculed him, but when he had put them all outside, he's putting the doubters outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumai, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. And again, there's that word, immediately. We saw it previously with the woman of the flow of blood. Immediately, immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it and said that something should be given her to eat. And so Jesus dealt with her supernaturally, but there's still the physical needs as well. And so you see that Christ is entering into these points of despair, people who deal with pain daily. And so it's why when we're given the opportunity, we go and we go to the hospital. And as I go to the hospital, what am I bringing? What am I bringing? Uh, in, in obedience, I'm, I'm bringing Christ with me. Not that he's not already, already there, but as we've been commanded to, to pray for the sick, I'm bringing hope and prayer and all that prayer offers. And I'm bringing oil just simply because the Bible says to anoint the sick with oil. But what I'm bringing is, is a point of faith. And that's what the anointing of the oil is. And I'll usually point that out when I anoint somebody with oil, that this oil has absolutely no healing properties in it whatsoever. But it's all about that person or, or the family that's around to give them that point of faith, that focal point, that at that moment we're doing what God has called us to do. And God, God will heal according to his will or he won't heal according to his will. But either way, it's all of the will of the Lord. And as I stated, as we were studying James chapter 5, I've had the opportunity in many situations. Some people, you see God answered prayer according to how it was desired. Some people got better. Some people got sicker. Some people passed away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And so, as we go through these hard times, as we go through these, these issues that, that arise within our lives with these sicknesses, and, and as we're dealing with these things, we have to maintain our trust in God and what God wants to do and what he's wanting to achieve through those things that we're dealing with. As I pointed out a couple of weeks ago, probably the last couple of weeks, a servant, a slave, it's not about what he says, but it's all about what he does. The only one who'd care what a slave would say are the underslaves to what their master slave has to say. And so what Mark is writing about are these amazing things that Jesus Christ did. But what is he? He is the slave of a ma- uh, he's the master slave of a common slaves. And we've got to hear the voice of the master. Because just as the master set the example, those things that he has done, greater works will we do as well, will we experience. And so there's just this great opportunity for those who have faith in the Lord, and especially in his word. When it comes to danger, our Lord said, peace be still, and that sea was calmed. When it comes to demons, the Lord said, come out, and they were obedient to the call of God. When it comes to disease, our Lord said, your faith has made you well. When it comes to death, our Lord says, his children are not dead, but they sleep. 
Do you see really how these miracles that we've been looking at, how they're building, how they're building in the revelation of who Jesus is, just the the dangers of our life and the hardship? He's the Lord over that. As far as the wiles of the devil, he's able to deliver us from that. When it comes to disease, those times of sickness, it's our faith in him and that we'll have confidence. Even when it comes to death, we sleep. We're not dead. The born-again believer will never die. There will be that passing from here to there, but we have eternity with him. And just in closing, in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 through 21, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. So Jesus... Jesus was in that boat going across the sea. He doesn't use boats anymore. He uses us. As he was walking through the crowd, he's there, but he doesn't physically walk through the crowd. He uses us. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. How does he do that? According to the power that works in us. Now, as I need something, as I need a miracle, as I need something to occur in my life that is exceedingly abundantly above all that I ask or think, Well, he's able to use the power that resides in me through the power of the Holy Spirit. But it's been my experience, the way God ministers to those that need a touch that is exceedingly abundantly above all that they ask or think, it's in the power of those who are in the body of Christ. Because see, the crowd was thronging him, but now the crowd, the crowd that we minister in, the crowd that we're ministered by, that's where the power of God resides in order to touch his people and minister to them that he would be glorified through it. And it says in verse 21, it's not about the people. It says, to him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Notice the term, in the church. There's so many people. I get calls all day long, not all day long, but a couple calls a week. People are outside of the church, people that that, that find our number. Why? Because they're simply looking for a church because they have a need at that moment of what a church has to offer. And and I, I, I pray for them, but I feel sorry for them as well. They don't have the body of Christ there to support them. You know, not not entering in truly to the to the body of Christ. And we need to see not only our response, well, our responsibility, but in two ways. Our responsibility to support one another, brothers and sisters, as we see the prayer requests coming over the prayer chain. But also I have a responsibility. There was a book written many years ago, and the theme of the book was, I think it was called Stretcher Bears. I don't recall. It's been so long. But it spoke of our responsibility to carry the stretcher of a brother or sister who's hurting but it also spoke of our responsibility from time to time. We need to get on that stretcher as well. Because as we are able to speak of what God has done, we glorify God. And as we come to that place of weakness, it's going to be at that point that we see the strength of God and we're able to comfort others with the same comfort in which we were comforted as well. And so what Jesus is, is speaking here today, what we saw in, in Mark chapter 5, and that all of the fears of man, God meets us at those points, and God is truly the one who is able to overcome. Father, once again, we just thank you, God, for your good word. 
your word, Lord, especially tonight and what you've talked about, Lord. It's just so practical. And I pray, Father, that, Lord, you would help our faith and, Lord, you would do away with our unbelief and that you would strengthen us through the knowledge of who you are. That, Father, we would realize the miracles that you want to work, the the, the works of your hands, Lord. And, And the way that you do that, Lord, is through the body of Christ and it's through just us, Lord, as we as we respond to your call in and through our lives. And so, Father, I just lift up, Lord, the lives that you want to touch through our obedience and pray, Father, that we would be people found faithful. And so, Lord, I lift up those who have come out tonight. I pray that you would go before them. I pray that you would bless this church, the church, those who are listening online. And just pray, Father, that you would continue to do mighty things, especially during these evil times, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you all stand, please? Once again, we have our couples retreat coming up in mid-October. We're taking sign-ups for that. Rosemary was telling me we need to get a rooming list turned in, so we need to get people signed up who are planning on coming. Also, we have our anniversary. It's going to be a week from this Sunday, our anniversary celebration. Later on that afternoon, we are going to be having a baptism. So if you've yet to be baptized, we would like for you to sign up, but pray about being there. Pray about being baptized and fulfill that call that God has called you to, because God has commanded us to be baptized. It's that response of what Christ has done within us that is a witness outside of our actions. God bless you guys. Good night. Uh, Real quick, as I was listening to the teaching and thinking about this last song that we're about to sing, I I was just reminded that... um, if we have a, a want or a need or desire, that we just have to ask him. And I was reminded that as we as we work daily to build our lives on this firm foundation that is Jesus, that it can't be shaken, and um, that if we would just ask him to fill us and to lead us, that he would reach those around us, whether it's our loved ones who don't know him or just the people that we encounter as we go through our days, that he would use us to touch uh, their lives through his power, that he'll be faithful to do so. So let's just end with this last song and just asking our Father to lead us and to use us for his purposes and for his glory.
you are able to reach those around us, God. So use us, Lord. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a good rest of your week.